Good morning. Welcome to the third weekend service at New Spring. And I told the 930 crowd, I love that song, Games People Play. I, I don't know why I do, but I love that one. And also love the R&B song from, the, I think the Spinners did it, you know, uh, Games People Play. And we're going to be talking about Games People Play for the next three weeks. But before I get started today, I just want to say how pumped I am about the way New Spring is growing. It just blows my mind. I, I, I don't think... Frankly, we can't find record of any church in the Wichita area ever growing at the rate this church has grown last year. And so I want to thank all of you who are coming. And I know that many of you, when I hear about how far some of you are driving to be here, we're really, really humbled. But we're so glad you're here. And we know that, that um, you pass up a lot of wonderful churches to come to New Spring. But we're thankful and, and honored that you would spend some of your week with us. And I hope and pray that God just continues to bless you through your experience here. I, I, I meet people all the time who will say, Mark, it's my second week here, third week here, fourth week here, and it might, I always say the same thing, and I may have said it to you. I always say, I hope it's a good experience for you because so many people go to church, and, and, and I hear them say, well, I had a bad experience there. And our prayer is that you'll have a good experience at New Spring, that you'll come to know God more deeply, and that you'll know that when you walk in here that people are here to love you. They're not here to judge they're not here to try to shoehorn you into a particular mold, but instead people are here to love you and, and, and help all of us grow closer to Jesus Christ. Well, our series, like I said, is called Games People Play. And what it's all about is this, and, and, and when we think about people playing games, think about the expression for a moment. If you, if you know somebody and you say, well, they're just playing games, or maybe you can look back on a part of your life you say, well, I was just playing games. What we really are talking about is we're talking about pursuits that use up our time and sap our resources and leave us nowhere at the end. You know, when you play a game, that's what happens. You, you, you pay your money, use up your time, but it doesn't really get you anywhere. I remember many years ago, I was working out at a health facility where I worked out, and they had some new rowing machines. And this is really going back in time. I think it's back late 80s, early 90s. But I remembered that these rowing machines were the first machines that I ever saw that had a color monitor. And, you know, you start the rowing process up, and, and you can see your boat, and then there's the pace boat. And so you're trying to beat the pace boat, you know. And I had this accomplishment thing going on, so I'm sitting there, and I'm rowing, and I'm behind the pace boat, and it's gaining on me. So, I mean, I'm just, like, putting out this superhuman effort, and I catch up with the pace boat, and over, like, 25, 30 minutes, I pass the pace boat, and I get a length on it. And finally, I get to the end, and I'm just so excited that I've won the race. And then I looked at myself, and I'm sitting right where I was when I started. You know, I didn't get anywhere. And, and that's what games are like. You know, we, we use up our time and our resources, but it doesn't get us anywhere. And many of us can look back in times in our lives and we can say, well, I thought I was in love, but I was just playing games. Or I thought I was on a career track, but I was just playing games. My concern for all of us here is that we won't use up our lives playing games, that it'll be real. My parents loved to tell this story. They were in the uh, last night's service, the 930 service, and so I, I knew the moment I started telling this story, they were going to pick up on it. I don't know if I really remember it. How many, how many of you could say that your parents have told you things so many times, you don't know if you really remember it or if it's just they've told you so much? But when I was two years old, evidently, I was in love with mowing the grass. My dad mowed the grass, and I wanted to mow the grass, which is something I quickly outdistanced or outgrew when I had to mow the grass. But I remember my parents told me, or I remember that they took me to this department store, 
downtown. This is pre-mall days, which is probably going to be a stretch for some of you. But they took me to downtown Fort Worth, and, and I saw this lawnmower up on the shelf, and I had to have it. I mean, I cried for it. And I had a birthday coming up or something. And my parents finally decided they would, they would buy it. And they, they, they went down, downtown, and they tried to hide it from me. You know, they bought it, and they put it in you know, the, the bag and everything, put it in the back of the car. Probably it was a few days till my birthday. But I was just going ape. Man, I just had to have that. I knew they had it in the car with them. And so finally, my dad and mom broke down, and they just went ahead and let me have it. But when they, when they took it out of the bag, they say I went into a deep depression because I discovered that the wires were just painted on. And they said I cried and cried about that and would have absolutely nothing to do with the lawnmower. You know, a lot of years have passed, 50 years have passed, in fact, since then. I still don't like it when the wires are painted on. You know? When something pretends itself to be real, but it's not real. It's just a game. It's just a charade. And so we're going to be talking about that kind of thing for the next three weeks. I don't want us to use up our lives playing games. This, this morning, I'm going to be talking to us about Monopoly. Next week, it's Trivial Pursuit. And the third week, a week I, I just really hope that you'll be here. It's, called, it's charades. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about games people play. This morning, we're going to be talking about Monopoly. Now, I, I like Monopoly. Um, now, this is a board game, as you can tell. You know, it's the typical Monopoly board game. Uh, I don't usually play this anymore because I've discovered uh, Monopoly in video game format. And being ADHD, it's just wonderful because it keeps the game from being so tedious. You just hit the button and it automatically calculates how much you're being debited or credited. It's just wonderful. Makes the game go fast. Just click a button, puts a house there. So I, I like that. But this is, this is the old school stuff here. I mean, this is like, you know, real game pieces and, 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 and all that kind of thing. So I, I really like this. And so, you know, whenever I'm playing, the first thing you have to do is you have to pick a game piece. And I don't see my favorite one here. I'll just pick this. Actually, I pick the car every time. That's my favorite game piece. I wonder if it's Freudian, do you, you know, what, about which piece you pick. But anyway, I, I pick the, the, the car, and, and, and then you start the game. And, and uh, you wonder why, I do anyway, I wonder why Monopoly is such a popular game because it's a very old game. Monopoly was invented during the Depression. And as you probably know, the streets and the locations uh, are, are representative of Atlantic City, New Jersey. And the whole idea, of course, is to, you know, ice everybody out, get everybody's money, end the game with the most stuff. And, but Monopoly, I think, is the reason why it's popular is it's just so much like life, or it's like the life that a lot of people are living. Because what's happening is that many people are playing a life game that's very much like the Monopoly game. Think about how it works. You start off, I don't remember, what do you get, $2,500? Is that what everybody starts off with? You get a game piece, and you get the dice. And from that point on, you're rolling the dice just to see where it is that you land. And so hopefully you can land someplace that doesn't send you to jail, or cause you to take a chance, it's going to wipe you out. But really, you know, it doesn't really matter a whole lot when you first start out because you don't have a whole lot to lose. You're just kind of hoping that you land in a good place. But in the early part of the game, the primary thing is just to get back to go because when you get back to go, what happens? You collect $200. It's like getting a paycheck, right? Isn't that how life starts out? I mean, you don't have a whole lot. You don't have, you know, a whole lot of possessions and stuff. You may be just renting, and, but boy, that paycheck is so important. You roll the dice, and you just say, I want to get around it where I can get another paycheck. I'm just living week to week. But then something happens, you know? You start moving along, and, and something good happens, and, and it isn't long before you're saying, wow, I've landed in a good place, and so I see a piece of property. I'm going to buy that. Now, maybe not a real piece of property, but just, you know, you graduate from college. Something good happens. You're moving up a little bit. And then, you know, something else comes along that's a good thing, and, and you're saying, okay, I, I landed here. This is a good thing. I'll, I'll take this. And, and you just roll the dice, and it's like, wow, you know what? I got another one of those. 
but you keep rolling, and, and somebody else gets the third one, and you don't get the set. Well, you roll again, and you know, and uh-oh, you're up on boardwalk. How, how, I mean, whenever you're playing Monopoly, that is so important to get boardwalk, because that's an expensive property. And you roll a few more times, and you wind up, and you get the set. And you're saying, life is really good. Because now, not only when you roll the dice, are you like looking for what you're going to invest in. When other people roll the dice, they can land on your property and they begin to pay you. And for the first time in life, we start getting that sense of what it means to have something, to get a little bit of control. You get promoted and you're the manager. You start having some success and you get a windfall that you didn't anticipate getting. And all of a sudden, you've got something to lose. And it really, really matters where you roll the dice. But you keep rolling and you keep rolling and good things happen. And after a while, you're saying, you know what I'd really like to have? I'd like to have some security. So you find a way to put a house on Park Place or you find a house, find a way to put a house on Boardwalk and the game starts really getting good. You've got some success going. And for the first time, you got a parking place, you know, official parking place. You got a car, two cars. You get a nice house, and good stuff is happening. And as you keep rolling, more good stuff happens. I have played Monopoly to the place where it's really good. And that is like when you like finish getting the houses and you start putting hotels on property like Boardwalk or Park Place. And you can actually get to a part of this game where I think all of us who play Monopoly really want to get to. And and listen to me here, because this is what people are wanting in life. You can actually get to a place where the dice do not matter. It doesn't matter what I roll. It doesn't matter what anybody else rolls. It's going to mean security for me. No, I don't even have to worry about it. In fact, how many of you have played Boardwalk, and you've gotten so far ahead, you've got so many houses, so many hotels, so many properties, that you don't even care if you wind up in jail. You just sit there in jail and let everybody go around the board and pay you as they come around. See, that's what we want in life. I mean, without saying it, it is the human spirit to want to get to the place to where the rolls of the dice, chance, things that seem to happen that we have no control over. We want to get to that place where it doesn't matter. We're totally in control. We have complete security. This is why people buy lottery tickets. When people buy lottery tickets, are they thinking about the dollar that the ticket costs? They're thinking about the millions of dollars they're going to get. They're thinking about the millions. They're not going to get it. Favors the house. But that's what's in their minds. I want to get to the place. I mean, there is that, there is that narcotic sense of, of the human spirit that says, I want to get to the place where stuff can't get to me. The word I thought about at 2 o'clock this morning, I, was, I kept trying to think of a word to, to communicate what Americans are trying to get to. We want to be insulated. We want to be insulated to where stuff doesn't hurt. A layoff, not a problem. A downturn, not a problem. Economy goes south, not a problem. I want to be insulated. And that's the pursuit that most of our friends and maybe we're on today. In the Bible, Jesus tells us a story of a guy who played Monopoly. And that's what he wanted to get to. He wanted to get, he, the place he wanted to get was a place where the dice would not bother him anymore. Chance and things that could go wrong, he would be insulated. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to the book of Luke, chapter 12. Now, Jesus is teaching, and a crowd is gathering, like the crowd here at New Spring today. And so he's getting ready to talk. I don't know if the band was playing or anything beforehand, but anyway, he was getting up ready to talk and getting ready to start, and somebody from in the audience called out to him and said, Hey, Jesus, I need your help. And Jesus asked him what he want. 
wanted. And he said, my, my brother will not divide the inheritance with me. So my dad, I guess his dad and mom had died, and his brother had the inheritance. And he said, my brother won't want split it with me. And he said, I want, you to, I want you to arbitrate. I want you to step in and make my brother give me what he should give me. And Jesus basically said, I don't know what gave you the idea that I came into the world to be an arbitrator, but he said, let me just tell you, life consists of more than what you have. And that's where Jesus told this story. So if you, I want to read the whole thing to you, and then we'll comment on it as we go along. So it's just a few verses. Luke 12, verse 16. Then he, Jesus, told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough. By the way, when you start saying my friend, when you're talking to yourself, something's really wrong. But anyway, we'll leave that. My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. In in the Greek, it's just one word, fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And now here's Jesus' conclusion. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God, or some translations say a person who is not rich toward God. Now, this is a guy who was playing Monopoly, right? His whole story was to get to the place where the roll of the dice would not bother him. He wanted to get to the place where he would have absolute total security and be insulated from anything that could go wrong in an economic way. But as you can see, you don't need me to tell you the end of the story. You read it with me. It, it, he, he, he bombed out. There are four mistakes that he made in this story, and, and they're the mistakes that people who play Monopoly in life make. And so I want to show these to you real quickly. They're in the text. Let's start with the first one. You find it in verse 1. Jesus said a man had a, a, a excuse me, verse 16, a man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. You say, well, Mark, where's the mistake there? The mistake there is that he had nothing to say to God about it. In his mind, his success was his success. Every one of us has a measure of success today. You say, well, Mark, I I have a lot of problems. But yeah, but we have some measures of success. There are things that we have done and are doing that are working well for us. My question for you and for me today is, do we recognize that that success comes from God? He said, well, Mark, listen, I worked hard when I was in college. I studied hard. I stayed up late. I worked myself through college, and, and, and I work hard where I work, and I stay long hours, and I give my best. Okay, I, I agree with that, and, and I just stand first in line to applaud that. But could I ask you the question? What did you do to cause yourself to be born in America? Why weren't you born in one of the third world countries where people live on a dollar a day? Who was the one who gave you the intellectual powers to make it through college? Who's the one who gives you the physical strength to go to the office or to go to the plant every day? I mean, when we get right down to it, it is God who is the source of everything. Here's this guy who is thinking to himself, I am a success because I have, listen, a fertile farm. But who was the one who made his farm fertile? Who created the seed? Who was the one who had designed the nutrients in this guy's soil that made his farm so successful? Everything he had was from God. You know what happens when I start playing Monopoly in life and it's all about what I can acquire? I forget that God is the source. It's all about how I roll the dice. It's all about what I want to buy. It's all about the properties that I want. It's all about me figuring out how to put a house on boardwalk. 
something goes wrong when I play Monopoly and I forget that God is the source. You know, friend, let me tell you, and let me tell myself at the same time, everything we have can be taken away in a heartbeat. You know, you say, well, Mark, I'm a success. I am the best at what I do. Guys, I love you enough to tell you, I've seen people who are very successful who lost everything in a flash. So it's time. You know, for those of us who don't want to play games, where does it start? It starts with us giving God credit for all the things he has done in our lives. If you're healthy today, look up to God and say, God, you're the source of my health. If you have family that love you and that you love, don't take that for granted. Look up to God and say, God, you are the source of my family. I'm thankful for my wife, thankful for my husband, thankful for my children. You say, well, Mark, I have a, I have a job. If, listen, if you've got a paycheck right now in this economy, you better look up to God and say, God, thank you. And if you have the strength to go out and apply for a job, give God thanks for that. That's where it starts. First mistake is when we don't give God credit for what he's done in our lives. Mistake number two. He asks a question. He asks, what should I do? Now, quickly, that's not a mistake. That's the right question to ask. When God has been good to you, ask that question. What should I do? Because, see, here's the problem. When we have good things happen in our lives and we just put it on cruise and say, well, I just expect that, listen, that's a terrible mistake. If God has blessed you, ask yourself, what, I, what should I do now? I mean, ask, what should I do? But the guy made the mistake that I just mentioned in that statement. The mistake he, that he made was to ask himself what he should do. There's an expression that I don't know where it came into our culture, but it is one of the worst mistakes that people make. And I hope I don't offend anybody because this may be an expression of yours. But if it is, I just want to call you to think about it. People say, trust your heart. Trust your own heart. That's the goofiest thing that anybody can say. I mean, because Proverbs 28 verse 26 says, he who trusts his own heart is a fool. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, I mean, this is amazing. The Bible says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I mean, Paul said, I know that within me there doesn't live any good thing. So the problem is this. When I get to the place in my life, when I say, I need to know what to do next, but instead of asking God and instead of seeking godly counsel, I ask myself, that is a bad mistake. Because see, that's the problem with people who play Monopoly. They're saying, what should I do next? That's what this guy did. He said, I'm a success. What should I do? You know what the problem with trusting ourselves is? Our internal, and by the way, you know when I talk about heart, I'm not talking about the pump inside your chest. That's, your, that's an expression God uses to refer to you in a person. Our heart will always tell us why selfish things are okay for us. And that's what I hear from people. You know, well, listen, Mark, I, I, listen, I, gotta, I, I know I shouldn't leave my wife, but I, I know there's a reason why. I, it's okay for me. I've asked myself, and I've come up with the idea that it's all right for me. And that's what this guy did. He said, what should I do? And then he answered his own question. And he said, I know what I'm going to do. Now, in the, in the English Bible that you and I have, the word Barnes is there, but that's because English translators knew that we understand Barnes, especially in Kansas. We know what a barn is. But what we're talking about here is a granary. We're talking about a place to store grain. This is, this is what farmers would do in those days. They would actually dig big holes. I mean, they would sort of be underground. They would be below ground surface, and they would, they would build these granaries, and there were two windows. Listen, hang on to this for a moment. There were two windows. 
One for pouring grain in at the top, one for taking grain out at the bottom. And so this guy is saying, my problem is this. He asked himself what to do, and he came up with this conclusion. He said, the problem that I have is I don't have enough room for storage. I don't have enough granary space. So he said, I'm just going to enlarge the ones I have, and I'm going to build bigger ones. And here was his plan. He said, I I just want to get to the place where I don't have to roll the dice anymore. He said, I just want to be able to store so much up that I can get to the place in life where I can say to myself, just chill, eat, drink, and be merry. Be insulated. Don't let anything, don't let the roll of any dice ever bother me again. Mistake number three. Look at the text if you still have it open before you in Luke. And and it's interesting to me how many times this man uses the personal pronoun. He said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored up for many years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Think about those pronouns that he used that were personal. I, I, and then mine. See, that's the very essence of monopoly. You know, monopoly is not something, you know, my oldest son, Jonathan, he he always had this great, Jonathan was just such a giving person. So when Jonathan was playing monopoly, if he started icing somebody else, he'd he'd always want to give his property away. He he would tell people, you don't need to pay me. (laughs) That's just his personality. But that's not the way the game is played, right? (laughs) That messes everything up. Because monopoly is not a giving away kind of game. It's a my kind of game. It's, and this is what this guy was doing. He was playing Monopoly. It was my stuff. Look at the language one more time. It was my crops. It's my wheat. It's my granaries. Because, see, the whole deal is about acquiring enough to where the roll of the dice don't bother you. So if you start giving away stuff, who knows? You may not get there. And this guy, there's nothing here about I want to give anybody anything. There's nothing here about where's God's. It's just it's my stuff. It's my crops. It's my grain, it's my granary. And here's what he was saying. Here was his plan. He said, I'm going to pour it in the top and I'm going to take it out the bottom. It's mine. Guys, that's a game that has a dead end. But that's where so many people are today. I got a granary. I'm going to pour it in the top. I'm going to take it out of the bottom and I'm going to get to the place where I'm insulated. I want to take you to three places in the Bible. Actually, this is already one of the places, but there are three places in the Bible that I'm thinking about where the Bible talks about granaries. Luke 12 is one of those places. In the life of Joshua, excuse me, Joseph in the Old Testament is another one. When Joseph came to power in Egypt, and he, you know, when, he, when the Pharaoh called him in to interpret the dream, Joseph said there are going to be seven good economic years, seven bad economic years. In the good economic years, grain's going to grow prolifically. He said, save the extra grain from the good years, store it in granaries during the bad years, and we won't starve to death. Good advice. But I'm going to freak some of you right now because there's another place in the Bible where the Bible talks a lot about a granary. It's in Malachi chapter 3, and some of you will recognize this particular chapter. God followers through the ages have had a practice. It's like God has given the human race a test to see if we are willing to do things his way. And and that particular test has been called tithing. And God followers through the years have taken a tenth of their income, brought it to God's granary, and God has promised to bless it. And so God deals with that in Malachi chapter 3, in which he talks to his people about this. And he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse or the granary. So that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to receive it. And then he goes on to say that he would rebuke the devourer. God would 
bring it in and keep it from leaving in our lives. Now, here, here's the point that I want to get across. In inventing tithing for God's people throughout the years, what God is saying is, look, don't just put all your grain in your granary. God is saying, bring a tenth and put it in his granary. And here's what God is saying. When we bring the tenth to God, God says at the bottom, I will open the windows of heaven, my granary, not your granary. God said, I will open the windows of my granary and pour you out blessings that you cannot receive. Now, I know that the moment I say this is that some people get a little squeamish about giving in church, and I don't talk about it as much as I should. But guys, two things real quickly out of the box. If I'm talking to somebody and you just say, Mark, I don't ever want to give God anything. just don't even like to hear talk about it. The honest truth is I'm not talking with you today because you're playing Monopoly. But I want to talk to God followers for a moment. I want to talk to people who don't want to play a game. See, here's the deal. When we trust God, it's not about a deficit thing. Whenever we tithe, it's never like God is going to take something away from us. God wants to give back to us. And here's what God is saying. If we will trust him enough to bring to his granary where people are being fed spiritual food, God said, I will open the windows of heaven. I am 52 years old, and tithing has been a part of my life since I was a teenager. I have never found a way to outgive God. He's just unbelievable that way. I got so many stories. One of my favorites, and this is just a small, I mean, I, I, could always, I could tell you a lot bigger stories, but this is just one of my favorites. I remember when I first came on staff here many, many, many years ago. I was 24 years ago. And uh, our church was small then, and I didn't have very much, and actually didn't have two nickels to rub together. And, and the parsonage was across the parking lot from the church. And a couple of missionaries came by, really, really good couple, sweet couple. Really love the Lord, really making a difference in the world. And uh, they came, and Maros and I greeted them, and, and I could kind of hear them. They, the husband and wife kind of got off to themselves out of earshot, but I have real good ears. They're not just big, they're good. So I, I was listening to what they were saying, and, and the gal was saying to her husband, I, I need to get a haircut, and I've heard that there's some like this school where they teach haircutters, and if you'll let one of the students try it out on you, it's just like $5. That sounded dangerous to me. I reached in my pocket, and I got my last $20. And this is a fact, but this is the last $20 I had. And that wasn't very much, but it's been a long time ago. And, and I remember taking it out, and I said, look, listen, there's a couple of places where you can go, and, and just please take this and get a haircut. And, and I walked away, and I thought, oh, that's really crazy, because, I mean, I just gave away my last 20 Later that day, I had to be down at a business, and, and I was leaving the business and walking back to the parking lot where my car was, and I looked down, and, and as God is my witness, there was $35 there in currency, now, I, I, don't, I have to tell you, this is a fact. That's going to sound crazy. I didn't even connect the two things. I started walking around trying to find out whose $35 that was. That was the miracle. Because I probably asked 20 people, is this your $35? And everybody said, no, no, no. <laughs> Wasn't that crazy? <laughs> is this yours? Is this yours? Everybody's saying no. And after a few minutes, it was like God was saying, Mark, are you just crazy? (laughs) See, that's the whole deal. I mean, a lot of people, when they hear about bringing something to God, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Church is just talking about money. Oh, hey, listen, I'm not talking to you because here's the deal. You're playing Monopoly, and so you're going to have the outcome of the game. And, and, And it's all about what we want in life. But I'm a God follower. And one of the mistakes that people make who play Monopoly, it's, it's my stuff. 
It's my crops. It's my wheat. It's my granary. And if I want success, then I'm going to have to enlarge my granaries and build bigger ones so that I can get to the place where I'm insulated and nothing is ever going to bother me. So what are the mistakes that we make? Number one, not giving God credit in our lives. And then number two, asking ourselves what to do. And then number three, thinking that our resources are ours. And now mistake number four. This guy got there, didn't he? You see him? I do. He's in his office at the house. He's sitting in front of his com- computer monitor, and he's, he's just like typing up his business plan, and he's typing up what he thinks is going to happen in his projections. And he says to himself, it's going to work. I've got it figured out. I'm going to enlarge these granaries, and I'm going to get to the place where I can chill, and nothing can ever affect me again, and I won't ever have to worry about how the dice come up because no matter how the dice roll, I'm going to win. And suddenly he hears a voice. Who's there? Did I set the alarm? But this time, the guy who's talking to him, you can't be kept out with an alarm. It is God, and God is saying, one word, full. Hey, hey, Mr. Guy who's playing Monopoly and think you got it all worked out where you can be totally insulated, God is saying, full, full. Do you know what's so interesting about this, guys? If you read this story and you didn't have the end of the story, you would think this guy is a smart man because this is the American dream. If you want to find the American dream in the Bible, it's in Luke 12. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to store it up. I'm going to put it away. I'm going to chill, and nothing can touch me. And yet God came along to what sounds like a very shrewd business plan, and God said, fool. Why did God call this man a fool. Mistake number four. He secured, or at least he tried to secure, this life. But he rolled the dice on eternity. God said, tonight, I'm not coming after your grain. I'm not coming after your money. Because see, where God lives, our money is no good. When I was a little boy growing up in Texas, I remember one time I had an aunt who said, Mark, I want to give you some Confederate money. I was just glad for people to give me any kind of money. I think I was about five or six. And she did, man. She gave me a whole fistful of Confederate money. And I thought I was the richest guy in the world. And I said, Mom, I want you to take me down to the the store because I got all this money I want to spend. And my mom gave me the sad facts of life. Confederate money was okay till the South lost. After that, it's just paper. And guys, let me just tell you, that that's how the money of this world is to God. I mean, you know, in eternity, it's like Confederate money or worse. It's not worth the paper it's printed on. And God came to this man and said, you're a fool. I didn't come here for your money tonight. I didn't come here for your grain. I didn't come here for your storehouses. I came here for your soul. The most precious possession you have is not your car, not your house, not the neighborhood you live in or your membership at the club. The most important thing you have is your never-dying soul. There's a part of you that's going to live somewhere forever. And the Lord said to this man, I came after that part. I didn't come after your stuff. I came after you. Because, see, here's the problem. The guy, he like, tried to secure his money, secure his home, secure all of his financial prospects. But the problem was he didn't secure his soul. Welcome. To 2008 in America, that is where we are today. I mean, this is why when someone dies, people say, well, they're in a 
better place. I don't know where it is. I don't know why they're there. I guess everybody kind of goes to heaven. But after all, you know, death came and you're in a better place. Biggest mistake you and I can make. Worst game we can ever play is to try to secure this life and roll the dice on heaven. And the great thing about what Jesus is saying, and by the way, let me just read this to you. This is so powerful. These are the words of Jesus. He said that if we would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that he would add all these things to us. See, the thing about serving God is it's a sure thing. If you will put him first and his kingdom first, you don't have to roll the dice on eternity because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And anybody who is a believer to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I want to assure you today, my soul is secure and I'm not rolling the dice. I know where I'm going. And it's, it's not because I'm a good person. I'm secure. Sometimes, just being honest, By putting God first, it does feel like I'm kind of rolling the dice in this life. Because by putting God first, there are just things that other people seem to have settled that I don't have settled. But I have a promise. God has said if I would put his kingdom first, he would take care of me. He would take care of this life. So I want to challenge you today because, I mean, here's the deal. Like I said, you know, the problem about playing Monopoly is at the end of the game, all the money goes back in the box. And all the properties and stuff go back in the box. All your hotels, everything, go back into the box. And that's what happens when you die. A couple of guys were attending a very rich man's funeral, very wealthy multimillionaire, and they were kind of sitting there chatting before the service and talking to each other. And one of them said to the other, I wonder how much he left. And the guy in front of him said, turned around and said, he left it all. Could I ask you a question? What, what do you want to be secure? There's a picture that I couldn't get out of my head as I prepare for this message today. There, there's a place in the Bible where some guys are shooting dice. On the day that Jesus was crucified, he had a expensive robe that somebody had given him. And these soldiers killing him, they said, well, somebody ought to have this. And so the, the, the soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross, they were shooting dice at the foot of the cross to see who was going to get Jesus' coat. And that's the image that I got when I thought about America in 2008. Saddest thing of all is those guys who were shooting dice for their piece of clothes. Just a few feet away from them hung the Son of God who could have given them eternal life and everything good. And yet they were shooting dice for a rope. I'm talking to some of us here today, and that's where we are. We're playing Monopoly. We're going around the board, and it's all about getting things. And yet just a few well, not even a few inches away from you, is the Son of God who's calling you into a relationship with Him. And if you would receive Him, if you would invite Him into your life, you could put the dice up. And you could put the Monopoly board back in the box and you could say, I'm living a sure thing 
not just in this life, but my eternity is settled. And if you've never invited Jesus into your life, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. See, here's the deal. Like I said, these soldiers, in fact, I think one of the soldiers did ask Jesus because one of the soldiers said, surely this was the Son of God, and I believe he accepted Christ. But here's the deal. If you will ask him to come into your life, he will. He said, well, Mark, what do I need to do? Do I need to join the church? I want to get you out of Sedgwick County when you die. You say, Mark, I was baptized as a baby. It meant you got wet. No disrespect. Just is what it is. You say, well, Mark, I'm a good person. Man, unscrew the halos. This is a straight-talking church here. Let me just tell you, I've been in church all my life. My dad was a pastor. I've been pastoring since I was 20. I've known the Scripture since a baby. I accepted Christ when I was eight. But I assure you, if it weren't for the blood of Jesus, I would split hell wide open. I don't question that for a moment. See, the, the, the news is this. God saves sinners. You say, well, Mark, I'm too bad for God to save. Listen, if you know you're too bad, you're just right where God wants you. That's what he came for. (laughs) The Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. You say, I'm not ungodly, then you're in trouble. (laughs) If you feel ungodly, then, hey, God can do something for you. The Bible says that God loved you so much, he sent his son into the world to die on the cross. And I love this, whoever... It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what your race is, what your creed is. It doesn't matter how how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much you've lost. It doesn't matter anything. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is God's offer to you and me. I mean, that is how we put the dice up. It's a sure thing. For God to go back on his word would violate everything that he is, and God can't fail. So let's do some business right now for the kingdom. I'd like for you to pray with me. Just would everybody bow your heads with me for a moment, please? And you say, well, Mark, I have received Jesus. Then just pray because this is a sensitive moment. But if you're here today and you say, well, Mark, I've, I've gone the religious route, or maybe you say, I've been a very secular person. I don't know what to believe. But at this moment, if you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I want that. I want my life to be settled, and I want eternity to be, to be settled. Well, here's what Scripture says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the formula. It's just you opening your heart and receiving God's gift. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to pray it slowly. And these aren't magic words. The Bible says whoever calls, so this is going to be calling. But if you've got words you want to pray, that's fine. But I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and I'm going to pray it really slowly so that you can savor it and think about each part. Because if you mean it in your heart, God will hear your prayer. So if you'd like to receive Jesus right now, here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I can't undo it. And I can't pay for it. But I believe you died in my place. I believe your blood paid for my sin. Today I turn from my old way of life. I receive Jesus as my Savior, and I receive him as my King. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was a quick prayer, but I'll tell you, if you meant that from your heart, God is on the other end of the line. You say, well, that felt, I, I didn't feel like I did anything. You didn't. <laughs> Jesus did the heavy lifting.
Now, I have a gift I want to give you. If you prayed to receive Christ, when you came in today, you got a worship folder. Part of that folder is detachable. If you would just detach the part that is and just put your name and address on there, I have a gift I want to send you. When you receive Jesus, it happens so quickly. I have a gift. It's just some, it's a packet of DVDs and information about how to follow Jesus. It's, well, it's just totally free. If you'll put your name and address on there, you can drop it in the offering bag or in the boxes by the back doors, the bottom of the staircases. If it's got an address, I will mail you one this week. But if you're like me and you don't like to wait, which I don't like to, and you've got a few minutes extra, I'm going to point right through those middle doors in the back. There are two zones called Guest Services and New Spring Store. And if you pray to receive Jesus today, all you've got to do is bring your car back to one of those places and say, I pray with Mark. And they'll give this to you today, and you can start your awesome journey following Jesus. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, but I'm going to ask them just to wait before they start taking the offering. Uh, I want to tell you about a couple things real quickly, and I'll be talking about these in the next few weeks. Uh, if you look at an offering envelope, there are two areas. There's one for, for uh, tithes and offerings, and there's another one for missions. Every week, New Spring Church is involved all around the globe. And so I've kind of thrown our hat over the wall in a couple of places, and I'll be talking more about this. Last week, you saw the video from Wallace, who's in Brazil, and they've done Judgment House in, I think, 65 churches. They've had a quarter of a million people come through Judgment House. 35,000 people have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You heard the story. Yeah. Last week, Wallace talked about the series drama, and in Brazil, they didn't have a building to do it, and they just did it in people's houses in a road down a street. And the last house was a drug dealer's house, and his was nicer than anybody else's. They asked him if they could use it for heaven, and they did. And the guy got really excited about it, went through Judgment House, and the drug dealer accepted Christ. I mean, just crazy stuff like that, right? I mean, what God is doing in our world. And so we just said, we want a piece of that. You know, how many of us have invested in the market, and right now everything we've invested is gone? If you're invested in American automotive stocks, I'm really sorry for you in that regard. But when you invest in God, you never lose. And so we're, his annual support is $30,000 a year, and we said we're going we're gonna to give half of that. So I threw our hat over the wall there. Dr. John Shurkar, who's in Bangladesh, he is a Bangladeshi. He's been one of our missionaries for years. They are starting churches so fast, they can't build them fast enough. They're seeing Muslim people come to faith in Christ. Like crazy stuff. And I'll be talking to you about that in the future. Let me just tell you what a church building costs over there. 6000 for the land, 7000 for the building, and just some dollars. It's a totally about $16,000 to build the whole church. And, and I just want to have a piece of that, don't you? I mean, I want to see New Spring. So that's about $31,000 extra. So if God touches your heart today, when you look at that missions part, it's above our tithe and offering. But if you just want to be a part of what God is doing through New Spring around the world, and I'll be talking, you say, well, Mark, I'm not really prepared to do it today. We'll be talking about this next few weeks. I'll be showing you some cool pictures and things. But I am just so pumped at what God is doing in us and through us around the world. And I pray that God will just ramp us up even more than we can ever dream.